Hello, everyone. This is Greg Drevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Rider Magazine, and your host for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest today is Lauren Trantham. Lauren is the founder of Ride My Road. In 2016, Lauren set out on a 10,000-mile solo motorcycle journey across the United States to photograph American survivors of human trafficking. Ride My Road has raised over $160,000 for survivor-led organizations, hosted dozens of events across the country, and educated thousands of motorcyclists on the realities of human trafficking in America. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I know we met a few weeks ago at the IMS Outdoors show in Northern California there at uh, Sonoma Raceway. You had your Ducati uh, Scrambler Desert Sled uh, all decked out in giant loop luggage. You were in the Adventure Out area. And that was really the first time I learned about your organization, Ride My Road. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Ride My Road. We're a fundraising organization. We primarily operate within the motorcycle community, and we raise funds and awareness for anti-human trafficking in the United States. So how did this get started? Now, I'll be honest, you know, when I met you, I, I don't think I was that aware of human trafficking in the United States. It seems like it's easy to imagine it's sort of happened somewhere else on the other side of the world, or it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing. So how did you become uh, aware of it as an issue and something that you wanted to uh, become an advocate for, you know, to, to fight against human trafficking? Yeah, I also, a couple of years ago, didn't realize that human trafficking happened in the United States. I spent a lot of years um, growing up, traveling abroad, and seeing a lot of inequities, but it never occurred to me that that stuff was happening right here. And unfortunately, it does. It happens in every city in the United States. It's been reported in every state. And uh, because of the internet, it's really easy to facilitate um, the purchasing of a human being. And so like you, I, I didn't know anything about this. I was a motorcyclist for a long time and a photographer when I was going through a divorce. And, and this was in 2015. And it was kind of a rock bottom moment for me, um, learning that I had been actually in an emotionally abusive relationship. Um, but because I was never hit, I didn't understand the signs of what abuse can look like. And so when I was going through that experience and I was just having a really tough time with it, I decided that I wanted to kind of look outside myself and maybe as a photographer, use my skills to meet and photograph other people who had experienced abuse this way. And so, yeah, again, I didn't know anything about human trafficking. And a friend of mine said, you should meet Rebecca Bender. And she's um, local to my area and she's a survivor of human trafficking and she has uh, an organization. And so I met with her and she started to explain to me how human trafficking happens in the United States and what it looks like. And it completely blew my mind. And uh, from there, we formed a friendship and a relationship and I partnered with her organization and I, I took my motorcycle at that time. I was riding my Ducati Monster, the S4RS, and I rode 10,000 miles across America and I photographed survivors of human trafficking. Um, the, photo, the survivors that I met and photographed had all graduated from Rebecca Bender's online academy. It's called the Elevate Academy and they mentor survivors online. And so yeah, I spent two months in 2016 just riding around the country, learning more about this issue and meeting survivors. And it, it, changed, uh, it changed my life. Um, it turned into um, a much bigger issue for me. And I, I went on to 
excuse me, I went on to found Ride My Road as an organization and been doing it ever since. Well, that's impressive. Uh, you know, it's interesting how, you know, personal, um, you know, situations and, and events that happen uh, can lead to something uh, quite unexpected. They can open, you know, one chapter closes, a new chapter opens. And um, so as part of your uh, documenting and, and photographing, um, is, is that something that, um, what did you do with the, the photographs and, the, and the, were you telling stories? Were you, you know, has that been documented on, on a website or, or in some way? Yes. So because that started as a personal project, just, at, you know, as something I wanted to do as a photographer, um, and we offered those photo shoots as gift to gifts to survivors, we've never done anything with them. Um, I want to make sure that survivors know that they're not obligated to for me to share their images or their stories. And to be honest, I never even asked them about their trafficking story. The photo shoots truly are just meant to be a gift um, with nothing in exchange. And so although many of them do sign model releases and I have a few on my website, we don't really do anything with them. Um, there's a real risk of re-exploitation. It's not like if you're photographing like a cancer survivor, right? Um, they haven't been commercially exploited. So there's a lot of photographers out there that will photograph survivors of other tragedies and challenges and, and those things get put out there into the world. But if you've been exploited commercially, it's really um, a fine line to not want to re-exploit people or just use their stories or, you know, invite them to just tell, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to them. Sure. So we're really careful in that regard. Um, and like I said, with Ride My Road, we've gone on to build an organization and we have many programs. The portraits are just something that I continue to do um, as the founder and, and part of my heart is to give that gift to survivors. So um, yeah, that's been an incredible journey. I photographed over 80 survivors so far, all American, come from all walks of life, um, races, ages, genders, socioeconomic statuses. Um, it's, it's been really incredible experience. Right. Well, I cer certainly can understand that you would need to respect people's privacies, particularly if they've been, you know, victims and uh, you wouldn't want the, uh, them to be exploited again. So uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, since you've you founded Ride My Road, I know that you've raised uh, funds for some survivor-led organizations. Um, uh, tell us about some of the programs you have going on. You have something called the Survivor Bike Series. Tell us about what that is. Yeah, we're really excited about the programs that we've, that we've put together over the last couple of years, including the Survivor Bike. Uh, we had this idea a couple of years ago. Actually, I was at the One Moto Show up in Portland. And I got introduced to Craig Rodsmith and I was telling him a little bit about the work that we do. And a couple of weeks later, he called me up and he said, hey, I've got this really old, it was a 1994 CBR 600. And uh, someone just basically left it at his garage. And he's like, hey, if I give this to you guys, could you do something good with it? And so we said, absolutely, yes. And the Survivor Bike Program was born. So we take these kind of old bikes and we restore them, customize them. Um, we bring together all, people from all over the motorcycle industry, builders and companies, and, and, we, and we, we turn something that's sort of old and forgotten into something really beautiful. And it's sort of an, a, a metaphor for what survivors go through. They're really marginalized and there is so much beauty there, you know? And so that's what we do. We, we call it pulling the beauty out. And then we, we give them away. We raise funds and uh, give them away. So we're on our fourth bike right now. And uh, it's been an incredible program. We, we give a bike away pretty much every year. 
Um, right now we have the Survivor Bike Rogue, which is um, a fully customized 1974 um, XS650 that was um, built and donated a complete build um, by Mike from Rogue Motorcycles. And so that's getting, um, we're doing that giveaway at the end of this year in December and uh, really excited for that. We have big goals for that bike. Our goal is to raise 20,000 and, and it is a sweepstakes. So anybody can enter, I think, unless you live in New York, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, New Yorkers, but yeah. So with those funds that we raise, we turn around and give them back to the Elevate Academy um, to, to mentor and support survivors. Um, and yeah, it's, it's such a cool program because it's really our way of combining the motorcycle community with the survivor community. And what's so beautiful about it is everybody who works on the bike or donates a part or a company sponsors a part, a portion of the build, um, they all get a quick education from us on what trafficking looks like in America. And they, they begin to like really have a heart for, for this mission as well. And so it's, it's been really powerful. Well, you know, it's interesting is that the motorcycle community, it's, it's, it's large, it's diverse, but I also know that it is, uh, there are many charitable organizations that are connected with the motorcycling community. I mean, there's the Ride for Kids for, uh, you know, children with pediatric uh, brain tumors, and um, there's Toys for Tots runs, and there's all kinds of things. So that, how has the motorcycle community embraced your organization and your efforts, uh, you know, to raise awareness about human trafficking? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like you said, those of us who are bikers know how how charitable the community is. And I think a lot of people on the outside don't necessarily realize that. And so that's put a part of our mission as well as just talking to average everyday people to kind of change the the narrative around, you know, the biker. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've been incredibly, I feel like, so embraced by the motorcycle community. And it's really interesting dichotomy because you know, as bikers, we care about freedom. That's like what we're all about. We want to get out on the open road and do what we want and nobody gets to tell us what to do and <laughs> all of that. Um, while at the same time, trafficking happens at motorcycle rallies all across this country. And so it's, it's really kind of bringing awareness to that as well and saying like, hey, if you, if you actually care about freedom, you know, let's have a discussion about this. And and if people are purchasing sex at a rally, um, more than likely they're contributing to human trafficking. And so, you know, the Sturgis rally is, is happening right now. We've been invited uh, by the director of the rally um, year after year to come and to talk to bikers about this and to raise awareness. Because, um, you know, rally people that host rallies understand that this happens and they're doing a lot to combat it now and partnering with law enforcement and organizations like ours. And so it's really encouraging. I mean, to have the director of Sturgis call you and say, hey, we're ready to take a stand, like a, a frontward facing stand against this is, is phenomenal. So yeah, we've had not, we felt nothing but love from the motorcycle community. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, talking about some of these shops that have worked with you to customize some of these bikes, the, some of the events that you've had and so forth. And um, you, you also host uh, some events, uh, something called the FAST, which stands for Fight Against Sex Trafficking. What sort of these fast ride events, what do those entail? Yeah, we do one day charity rides, um, just kind of like a poker run um, in, in a sense. And we've held them at the Sturgis Rally um, in SoCal and here in Oregon where I live. And, and it is, it's just a one day event to come together and kind of celebrate the motorcycle community, but also do a little bit of education. Um, last year, we did a bit of like a um, scavenger hunt where you got a map and on each stop, 
you learned a little bit more about human trafficking and then we come together and we have like speakers and raffles and, and you know, it just becomes like a really fun day um, to talk about something that's very serious. And so, yeah, we love having the fast rides. Um, we're expanding those all the time into different states and, and uh, yeah, you can just stay tuned for our next fast rides. We, we are looking at postponing our Oregon ride here in a couple of weeks. Um, just a lot going on with the pandemic. Um, so that's unfortunate, but we know that, um, you know, people are excited to get back on the bike as soon as we can and, and have these events. So. Yeah, I understand that's a challenge is that, uh, you know, with the IMS outdoors shows where I met you, um, the California event was supposed to be the weekend prior. It got moved to November. Uh, it was just announced uh, recently that the IMS outdoor show in New York has been canceled again. The COVID situation seems to be fluid. You know, it seemed like we we're coming out of it, but now things are, are um, you know, it's becoming another surge. So clearly that uh, creates issues for, for some of these events and so forth. When you host an event and you do some education for folks, because for example, you mentioned with the Sturgis rally, if there were some folks there that, you know, like you said, if they were purchasing sex, that, you know, that's, but there's a lot of people that go to rallies that don't do that. So is that in terms of raising awareness about, um, about human trafficking in terms of something that someone might see or understand, how, how do you educate folks that are like me, they're fairly ignorant about, uh, you know, what's going on with human trafficking? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and it's pretty fundamental to what we do. I mean, one of the pillars of Ride My Road is that we celebrate good men. Um, and we need men in this movement to, to step up and, and to talk to their friends about purchasing sex. Um, statistics are showing that only about 20% of men in America purchase sex, but we're talking about a billion dollar industry and growing every year. And so we are always looking to kind of reach that 80% of men who, like you said, don't purchase sex to just talk to other men because many men who do purchase sex purchase on that premise or idea that it's part of being a man and that it's like normal and it's okay. And you're just putting her through college or whatever. Um, when the reality is, is that if you're purchasing a person and they have a pimp, right? Which is kind of like nine out of 10 prostituted people um, have pimps. In the, law, in the eyes of the law, that's a trafficker. You know, they're, they're um, controlling the comings and goings of these people. They're controlling the money, the identification. Many, many people who are in prostitution don't have access to their own driver's licenses or their own bank accounts. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they have quotas that they're meant to fill and, and those quotas are enforced with physical violence. Um, so when we talk about like pimps in our culture, you know, our culture is like, oh, big pimping. And it's like, cool thing. Like, no, that's human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so when you're purchasing a person as a sex buyer, you really don't know if that person wants to be there. Right. We have this idea that human trafficking is like kids in cages. Um, and yes, although that happens, and that's kind of what we think about in developing nations in America, um, human trafficking looks a lot more like what we think of pimps and prostitutes. Um, so it's a lot of like just raising education and awareness about that. Like, hey, did you ever think that maybe that person you're purchasing doesn't want to be there, right? And like, how are you actually verifying that? Because it's their job to pretend like they want to be there, <laughs> right. right? So it becomes very nuanced. And um, like I said, we celebrate good men, even though this billion dollar industry is driven by men, the average sex buyer is um, like upper middle class, white, married American man. And that's a huge bummer we know that most men don't buy sex and, and we're always looking to men to join us as allies and to stand up against this. And um, 
you know, the, the movement is primarily driven by women. And like I said, we need more men. So that that's kind of what we're all about here at Ride My Road. It's just having like pretty frank conversations with bikers and saying like, hey, this is kind of what it's actually looking like. And, and if you didn't realize that, like you're welcome to join us and, and learn a little bit more and, um, you know, kind of tap into that, um, that thought process of like, we're all in this together and, and um, it's not about shame, so. Well, I mean, you know, certainly if uh, the motorcycling community is fairly male dominated, you know, is that, uh, you know, from a percentage basis, the number of motorcyclists that are male is, I don't know if it's 80 to 80% to 20% or, you know, I know those numbers keep changing and, and we have more and more uh, female motorcyclists, but yeah, that's a, so it seems like there's a, there's a, it's a big group that, you know, a large audience that, uh, that you could educate. Um, now, uh, again, this is largely based on sort of my ignorance. So you were talking about when you were documenting some of these survivors is that where most of these people are, are American citizens, you know, I, like, again, my, maybe it's a myth or a misunderstanding of uh, trafficking. I always think of that as people that are perhaps brought into the United States from abroad, their passports are held captive or something, and they're exploited in that way. But uh, as a lot of the human trafficking that's happening in the United States, it's, it's sort of within our borders. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I've photographed only American survivors, and and although people are brought in from other countries, um, it, like I said, it's pretty nuanced. Like that's considered human smuggling, okay. which is different than human trafficking. They may be trafficked after they're smuggled in, or they may be smuggled in with that in mind. Um, but yeah, when we look at trafficking in the United States, particularly sex trafficking, because actually the Polaris Project, which is the largest data collector on human trafficking in, in the United States, they have identified 25 typologies of human trafficking. So it's not just sex trafficking. We also have labor. And it, like I said, it, there's 25 of those. So you can check out the polarisproject.org to learn more about that. But sex trafficking is really what I mentioned before. It really looks a lot more like what we consider prostitution. Um, that's kind of the largest, the largest way that it happens. And it and in the eyes of the law, it's it's force, fraud, or coercion. And so we see a lot of situations where um, people are being trafficked by, you know, a loved one. I'm using air quotes, um, a loved one or a boyfriend, and it becomes actually difficult to prosecute because many people who are trafficked are, in, you know, in love with their traffickers and and they're married to them and and they've been in long term relationships with these traffickers and. And again, so if you just kind of think about what a pimp looks like in our culture like that, that's really what we're talking about. Um, that's the bulk of, of sex trafficking in, in America, which again is why education is so important because we think of the movie Taken, right? We think of Liam Neeson like coming and kicking down doors and it's just not the reality of, of how it presents in our country. So learning that distinction is very important. Sure, well, I can imagine you know, again, raising awareness about this is challenging because there's strong incentives to keep this behavior secret, uh, keep it in the shadows, keep it where, you know, it's not out in the open, um, but also for people to may not understand the warning signs or the, the, the potential nature of having somebody that, you know, can be trafficked by someone that they love, you know, as, as said by a family member or someone they're in a relationship with. It's, it's clearly a, you know, one form of abuse. Um, um, so, yeah, that's, you know, that seems like it would be a real challenge. Now, with the um, the organization that you're supporting, the Elevate Academy, um, what sort of uh, programs are they offering for some of these survivors? Yeah, the Elevate Academy is an online, an online academy. And so I mentioned Rebecca Bender earlier. She's the founder of that academy. 
um, you know, they were trafficked online um, through Backpage and Craigslist and some of these online platforms and now OnlyFans. Um, if you guys aren't aware of OnlyFans and you have small children, like you need to be getting educated on these apps um, where trafficking is just exploding. But anyway, she was trafficked online and she realized like if she can go to school online, I mean, if she can be trafficked online, she can teach a school online as well. And so she started this online academy, which is great because trafficking oftentimes happens in rural America where there's no services. So we think of this as a big city problem. And unfortunately not, like I mentioned before, it happens in every city in America and it happens a lot in small towns where there's no people to identify it or offer services. And so that was her goal with this online academy was to reach survivors and victims in small town America. And so anyways, the program is a 16 week intensive. They learn um, how to write a resume, how to dress for the workplace, how to dream again, how to tap into what you're passionate about. Um, they add a lot of value, um, self-esteem. They have trainings for complex PTSD and life coaches. And so all of that within the 16 weeks with a year of follow-up and really it's a lifetime of support. And so all of the, I'd say the majority of the survivors that I photographed have gone through this academy and I've got to see firsthand the impact that it has, which is why we continue to support it financially because I've seen it. I've heard the stories, I've heard the testimonials and it and the ripple effects. It's not just one person going through this academy and having their lives changed. It's now their children and their community. And many, go, many of them go on to become professional public speakers and authors and found their own orgs. And I mean, it's phenomenal. So yeah, it might, I just, I believe so much in that program. Um, that's why we keep, we keep supporting it. <laughs> well, and that's the important thing about, you know, uh, organizations like yours and El the Elevate Academy is that uh, you know, if somebody has been a victim of something like this, you know, you were saying how difficult it can be to prosecute someone who has trafficked them. And if someone is a victim, there's not necessarily uh, a go-to organization to help someone if they've gone through an experience like this. So uh, they have very specific, I'm sure, needs and um, um, so that they can get the support they need from an organization that really understands what their challenges are. So now, um, you have something called Disruptors University that you've recently launched. Uh, what's that? Yeah, the university was actually kind of born out of the pandemic. I'm sorry, can you hear that? Is that too loud? Okay, sorry. There's like some banging going on. Um, okay, I'll start over. <laughs> um, the, the university was really born out of the pandemic. Um, when the pandemic hit, we had a huge year stacked. We had to cancel 14 events. Um, for our small org, that, that was a big deal. Um, at the same time, trafficking was skyrocketing. In the first month of shelter-in-place orders, the Polaris Project um, saw a 40% increase in crisis calls. Wow. So we cannot even begin to understand the effects that the pandemic has had on our vulnerable populations. And um, trafficking has just exploded. And so it was a really tough time emotionally for me as the executive director of this org saying, the problem is expanding and we're like shrinking, like we had to cancel all of these events. And so the university is something that I had wanted to do for a long time, but didn't really have the time. I was too busy with the events. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, so I got to sit down and kind of reevaluate through the pandemic um, through that first year and uh, create this online university. And, and it's called Disruptors University because um, our goal is to disrupt 
um, the human trafficking industry um, through education and, and fundraising. So anybody can sign up. We are doing quarterly classes. It's a three month, uh, three month university. We bring on uh, experts, leaders, and survivor leaders, um, some of the top tier people in the movement to give um, one hour classes on different subjects um, pertaining to trafficking in America. It's just one night a week. And then throughout those three months, you learn a little bit about fundraising and you set your own fundraising goal and, and you kind of take what you learn through that experience and, uh, and put it into fundraising so that we can, again, raise more funds and support more of these survivor led organizations. Great. Well, you know, like I said, we'll have some links to uh, to some of these organizations that you mentioned, your own organization and, and uh, the Polaris Project and so forth in the show notes. Um, yeah, it's interesting how the pandemic has forced a lot of things to change. I mean, we've talked about how, you know, there were a lot of events last year that were canceled, not just for your, your organization, but, you know, rallies and shows and lots of different things and, and travel was, was uh, restricted. And we're having kind of an up and down year with those restrictions and so forth this year. So uh, continuing to get the word out, but also having resources available, like I said, if something can be online and it can be accessible by anyone, is, is a great way to, you know, like I said, launch a new program. And so, yeah, the pandemic is is as much of a, um, it, it's, it has been a launch pad for a lot of people. And I think also people are reevaluating what their, you know, life priorities are. Some people have been, we've all been, a lot of us so busy with work and so forth. I think some people are also shifting some of their priorities to focus on things that they believe more strongly and not just about, you know, uh, having a job and, and paying bills. And so, um, so with uh, Ride My Road, it's, uh, you said, it's been going, you've had your organization for about five years. What do you see? What are your goals going forward? Where, where do you want this organization to go? Yeah, we just want to continue on, on this path where we've been growing and it's been really encouraging. Um, at first, I was hoping like, oh, I should grow like so fast and do all these things. And, and then I read this book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And it's really like gave me a lot of insight about, oh, no, no, we're here for the long haul. I mean, this, this, this topic is not going anywhere fast, right? And so we have to really dig in and build this foundation, which again is why I'm so proud of the university and what we're building there um, when we're talking about changing culture. Um, we have to start with education. So that's really exciting for us. But yeah, I think just continue on doing what we're doing and, and reaching more people and, and really grateful to people like you and um, Writer Magazine for taking the time to spotlight what we're up to. I know it's, it's a serious topic, right. um, which is why it's so nice actually to partner with it with motorcycling, because we also have to remember there's so much joy in the world and there's so many good people. And um, so what, although what we're doing is, 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 can be very dark, there's also still a lot of joy and triumph in it. So um, yeah, to answer your question, I just think slow, steady growth and, and uh, you know, reminding people that you can make a difference. Um, that's the one thing we want to do at our org is, um, you know, you don't have to be a law enforcement agent. You don't have to be Liam Neeson to make right. a difference in this movement. Um, you can use something you're passionate about, motorcycles, um, to, to impact people and, and to change lives. So that's that's really what we're all about. Well, it's I'm sure it keeps you busy, you know, uh, launching new programs and building your organization. Are you able to carve out some time to ride? I mean, you had your your Ducati Scrambler there at the uh, Sonoma Raceway. I don't know if you rode down there from Oregon, but uh, have you got some gotten in some riding this summer. You got some rides planned for months ahead. Actually, when I met you at at IMS, um, that was my basically my last day. I was on the road for seven weeks. 
I wow. had done a 4,700 mile tour. I photographed 32 more survivors this summer. And, um, you know, <laughs> so yeah, I, so when I did my, my first 10,000 miles, um, back in 2015, I mean, I had already crisscrossed the country half a dozen times on my bike. I really enjoy long distance motorcycle travel and camping. And so, um, the 10,000 miles was just kind of like something I was pretty fairly used to, but, um, I ended up getting injured on that trip. I, I, I actually overdid it and I had an overuse injury in my arms and it's a long story, but I ended up not being able to ride for a couple of years, oh, wow. um, which was really depressing. Cause I'm like, Hey, I have this motorcycle charity and I haven't, I can't even ride. And I didn't, the injury was so severe. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to ride again. And, um, I, that's why I ended up getting the scrambler. I needed something a little bit more upright sure. and, um, yeah. And so I got that bike in April from Moto Corsa up in Portland. Love those guys. And then Giant Loop is one of our biggest sponsors. They outfit us with all of the, the luggage um, systems, which is phenomenal. And that's why I saw you at their booth because uh, Harold, the owner, he's, like I said, super generous and, and let us park there and talk about our org. And um, yeah, so getting back on the bike this summer was a huge deal for me personally. Um, again, having thought that I might not have been able to ever ride again. It was um, really phenomenal. And I got to go back out on the road and connect with more survivors in a time that it's just the vulnerabilities are just, like I said, um, you know, going through the roof right now. So it was a really special time for me to be on the road and, uh, and to meet people. And, and like, like you said, go, some of the shows are opening back up. And so to yeah. go and just talk to people and all of that. So yeah, so the, that's the long story <laughs> to your great. answer to your question. Well, it's also good to hear that, you know, your, your 10,000 mile trip, you said you did it on Ducati monster, uh, you know, the Ducati scrambler, you know, is that, uh, you know, we do, a, we do a lot of touring uh, features and travel features and so forth in our magazine. And, uh, you know, we have tests of big cruisers and, and gold wings and things like that, but it's always great to see that really any motorcycle can be, you know, outfitted for travel. You know, like I said, I know you have the giant loop, big horseshoe saddlebags and, and tank bags. And like, if you get the appropriate kind of luggage, uh, yeah, you can, you know, take your um, gear for camping go and go for as long as you can go. I mean, as long as you've got the time to go. And so it's great to see that, you know, like I said, traveling by motorcycle is, is something that um, I know I personally love. I don't, you know, now that I run a magazine, I uh, don't get to do it as often or as long as I would like to, but uh, knowing that, yeah, to get out on the road and to meet people and to see places and to, really be, um, and if you're doing it solo, I mean, that's also a great thing. You really get to explore at your own pace and your own time and so forth. So, so uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're, you're back on the road. And um, again, I appreciate you, you coming on the show. I mean, I've felt like I've, I've learned a lot and will continue to learn, you know, through your organization and so forth. Uh, people can follow you on Instagram. Like I said, we'll have some links in the uh, show notes. Is there anything else that you want people to be aware of? Anything coming up or uh, any organization in particular? Yeah, no, just thanks for having me. And like I said, I know it's a serious topic and sometimes people might tune in thinking they're going to hear about motorcycles and then they're like, whoa. <laughs> but I do just want to encourage people, like I mentioned before, that it's a serious topic, but we can do something about it. So um, yeah, just, you know, we always appreciate the support and followers and, and, and likes and comments and stuff on Instagram always helps. And we're going to be launching a little YouTube channel. Um, when I was on the road, I went ahead and filmed as much of that seven weeks as I could and um, trying my hand at kind of telling the story of 
what it means to travel on a motorcycle and camp off the bike and as a single woman as well. And, and through the heat wave, oh my gosh, I wow. hit every city I went to hit their historical high. I was in two solid weeks riding in over 105. <laughs> oh, so that takes its toll for sure. I'm still cramping. I've been home um, for almost three weeks and I'm still waking up in the night with like camp cramps in my calves. And stuff. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, just stay tuned. Um, we're going to be um, continuing with our education and our awareness and our events. And so, yeah, just really, really grateful and, and really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me and learn about this. Sure. Well, again, you know, we've mentioned some of the charitable efforts that a lot of people in the motorcycling com community are involved in. And I think really for those of us that have the good fortune or blessing to be secure and safe is that if we can, you know, uh, support organizations like yours, because not everybody can be so fortunate, you know, some people really do uh, have some real challenges, uh, yeah. you know, with, um, you know, whether it's trafficking or many other things is that uh, those of us that uh, can support others really ought to do so. I mean, that's really part of our, our common humanity. So, so thanks for all that you do. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenson. Thanks for listening. Keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit writermagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.